Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Okay. Shmini. Always a challenge, I must tell you. Imagine yourself there at the opening of the Mishkan. It's the eighth day. It tells us it's Yom Hashmini, the eighth day. So seven days of preparation, and now a new world begins. You know, it's always new. When you see the number eight, it always signifies something new. And it's Yom Hashmini, the eighth day. So for seven days, the preparations, the celebrations for the dedication of Mishkan have been going on. It's a, festival, a festive mood, a joyful, a party uh, atmosphere. It's filled with uh, anticipation of the promise of a glorious future. And as, I, and as Aaron finishes presenting Tefunah, the, the wave offering to the Lord, he lifts his hands joyfully and blesses all the people. And God responds to their joy and their offering with a glorious and awesome display of favor. The scripture tells us that fire comes out from before the Lord and consumed the offering. And all the people are rejoicing mightily. And then, boom, everything changes. We're told that the sons of Aaron, Nadav and Avihu, come. And what we're told is they offer strange fire before the Lord. Esh Zarah, that's, the, that's how it's said in Hebrew. Esh Zarah, and all it means, well, we can translate it in as strange fire. What's going on? What was the strange fire that was offered? Because God's offer of fire, God consumes the offer in fire. And the young men come and offer some other fire. And a third fire comes out and utterly consumes them. Burns them to pieces. So we're, at one moment we were all rejoicing and dancing before the Lord. Now, stunned silence and shock. Stunned silence and shock. Wow. Imagine if you were there. Wouldn't you be wondering what is going on? Who is this God? You know? So people want to call him capricious and frivolous. But is there something more happening that we need to be aware of? I think so. I want to talk to us first, in this first portion of my, uh, my sermon today, about what strange fire is, or what the, this strange fire might have been. You know, the rabbis, they, they uh, speculate about many different things. Some say it was because, and this is all via close reading of other scriptures. Some say that it was because Nadav and Avihu never married. They were supposed to be married as priests because it talks about the, their children somewhere or the lack of children somewhere. Later on, it tells us that God tells Aaron and his other sons that they cannot approach while drinking alcohol. And so some say that they were drunk when they offered the fire, they were, they were drunk. And so the fire consumed them. 
But I want to talk about another kind of fire, strange fire, and that is the strange fire of contempt. Because that's what I think happened here, whether they were drunk or not this or something or other. Best I can know, I know is that they took God for granted. And when we take God for granted, we can expect fire in our lives. How many of you know who Rabbi Jonathan Sachs is? Jonathan Sachs is the chief rabbi of Great Britain, or was. He's resigned since then. And he's a teacher now. He, he does a lot of teaching. And he wrote an article addressing this particular portion. I want to share a couple of his thoughts with you, examine them. And he said this. He said, however, to be true to God's purposes, there must be times and places at which humanity experiences the reality of the divine. Those times and places require absolute obedience. The most fundamental mistake, the mistake of Nadav and Aviyu, is to take the powers that belong to man's encounter with the world and apply them to man's encounter with the divine. Had Nadav and Aviyu used their own initiative to fight evil and injustice, they would have been heroes. Because they used their own initiative in the arena of the holy, they erred. They asserted their own presence in the absolute presence of God, and that's a contradiction in terms. That's why they died. And I think he might be right. That sometimes, you see, the whole of the book of Leviticus is all about what is summed up in this Torah portion, that Israel is to understand the difference between the sacred and the profane. It's an understanding. It's up here. It's a sacral thing. To understand what is holy and what is not. And Adav and Naviyu, uh, Nadav and Naviyu brought the profane into the sacred world. And for that, it cost them their lives. You see, we have a, a, we have a problem in America, I, ha I have to tell you. It's one of our great strengths and one of our great weaknesses. Our, our lack of, no, lack is the wrong word. Our independence, our sense of equality, Everything is equal. Everywhere, all the same. Now, that's a strength in many, many ways. But it can be a weakness in our relationship with God. Because, brothers and sisters, we are not equal with him. You see? And yet, so often, we want to treat him that way. Oh, it's me and Jesus smooching in the corner. You know? We all want to have that, that kind of familiar relationship with God. It makes us feel good. And after all, we're civilized. You know, that's how modern man thinks. You know, everybody's the same. We're all on the same level. Let's treat each other nicely. And yet, have we forgotten that there are things greater than us in the world? Things to which we must submit if we are to live better, a great, better lives than we're living. If we can do that, 
we might find that the quality of life is better. Certainly, Nadav and Abiyu missed that point. Hey, this is a party. Look what Dad just did. Isn't that cool? He made fireworks. Let's do it. Come on, man. We'll do it too. If you ever get the time, you read the whole portion. You read chapter 9, and you see how meticulously uh, Aaron prepared to make that sacrifice. And then we're told in this brief one sentence in chapter 10, and not not and Abiyu took their censers into the the, uh, temple, uh, into the Mishkan, and offered strange fire. One sentence! When their father took the, it was a whole chapter, all this preparation, all these things that he he was willing to do, submitting himself before God. Are we like that in our preparation for God? Is it just, ah, well, I'll just show up when I can, you know, whatever. Or are our hearts prepared when we stand before the Lord? We're not coming to see a friend. When we stand before the Lord, we are standing before God. Someone greater than us. Someone beyond us. So, it is our responsibility then to learn how to make distinction between that which is holy and that which is profane. And by the word, the word profane in this case merely means ordinary. It doesn't mean bad. That which is holy, special, set apart, and that which is ordinary. And the worst mistake we can make in our lives is having everything be the same. If everything is ordinary, then nothing is special. If every day is the same, then no day is good. It's all the same. And we have to make a distinction. We can't take God for granted. Holiness is that place where we encounter God most intimately. And if we seek to have that encounter, we must follow God's requirements so that he can be with us. You know, the Mishkan and all of its doodads and all the stuff that went along with it was all for the sake of preparing it so that God could be there. That the world could be tahor. Clean. So that God would have a space in this world because guess what? We've so messed up the rest of it. It's so unholy he cannot dwell here. Can we reserve a, sp- a place for God? Again, Rabbi Sachs says this about holiness. He says that the holy is that point of time and space in which the presence of God is encountered by tzimtzum, which is an act of self-renunciation. Can you imagine God humbling himself in this way? by an act of self-renunciation so that he could make a way for the creation in the world. In the same way, Tsimsum is self-renunciation on the part of mankind. Just as God makes space for man by an act of self-limitation, so man makes space for God by an act of self-limitation. The holy is where God is experienced as absolute presence. Not accidentally, but essentially this can only take place through the total renunciation of human will 
and initiative. We have to submit to God. That is not because God does not value human will and initiative. To the contrary, God has empowered mankind to use them to become his partners in the work of creation. But, it, but there has to be a moment where we submit, where we say, not your will, not my will, but your will, O God. This is the place of holiness. This is where we bear ourselves, this act of self-renunciation before God. This is how we manage holiness in this life. Apart from it, our will must prevail in all things. And if that happens, we will never experience true holiness. So we have to be willing to give ourselves away to God. Trusting that he is the Lord. Now listen, this incident always bugs me. You know, because I'm like, you know, Lord, they were just two numbnuts. What's the problem? I mean, you didn't have to kill them. You could have just slapped them around a little bit. Right? What would have been the problem? Just give them a little slap on the tookas and they'll be fine. They'll get it. You killed them. You know, it can be very troubling. You know, when you think about it, you know, uh, you know, because our, our detractors, those, of, uh, those who, who, who don't love God, who, don't, who, who think of the God of the Bible as some kind of capricious, foolish, ma- you know, madman, who kills with a, you know, at, a, at a whim. And you, they look, they'll look at an incident like this. You see? You see? Look. All these guys did was, to, you know, what? They brought the wrong, you know, the wrong uh, formula in there? What was the problem? Well, there's an interesting part of this whole story that I want to, uh, that I want to focus on for a moment. Because it's true that holiness matters. It's true that we have to submit our wills to the will of God. But we can do it because God is kind and God is merciful and God is good. So you remember the the portion that was just read. The portion that was just read. We're told that immediately after this happened, Moses was was very upset. And so they have to make the offering properly because after all, the offering wasn't made. So it says, Moses spoke to Aaron and his surviving sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, take the grain offering that's left over from the Lord's offering by fire and eat it unleavened beside the altar for it's most holy. He's giving them instructions about how to proceed with this offering, right? Now this is moments, seemingly moments, after they took the body, the bodies of their brothers out of this building out of the Mishkan. How would you feel? You just saw your brothers burnt to a crisp, dragged out and taken away, and now your uncle is coming over to you telling you, listen, we got a job to do, let's go. You're going to have to do this, you're going to have to do this, the offering and all this other stuff, right? And it says in verse 16, so they, you know, I guess they're trying their best 
to submit to Moses' demands. But in verse 16, it says, But Moses searched carefully for the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it had been burned up. In other words, they overlooked it. They were so, uh, maybe they were so upset, they were so confused, that, you know, it wasn't their turn to be priests, that they left the offering on the altar and it burnt up instead of them taking it off at the appropriate time so it could be eaten. It goes on to say, so he was angry, Moses was angry with Aaron's surviving sons, saying, why didn't you eat the sin offering at the holy place? It's most holy, and he gave it to you to bear away the guilt of the congregation and make atonement for the Lord. They're try- Moses is trying to uphold the holiness of God. We've just spoken for 10 minutes about how it's, imp- it's important that self-renunciation is important. It's important to be holy, to respect that which is holy. And yet, they have this reaction. Why am I so upset? I'm upset because Moses cannot see his brother's pain. He cannot see the sorrow of his nephews. Is that what God wants from us? That we should be so meticulous about it all? That in the face even of tragedy, we have to follow the rules? Is that what God wants? In verse 18, he goes on to say, Behold, since its blood has not been brought inside the sanctuary, you should certainly have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded you. Moses, what are you yelling for? I'm barely holding it together. In verse 19, it says, but Aaron spoke to Moses. You know, Aaron is considered one of the meekest men in the scriptures. And Moses is a meek one, but his brother too. He's a peacemaker. So he's a mild man. He's not a guy who's, in, who's into confrontation. But at this moment, I can understand his feelings. And he says, Aaron spoke to Moses, Behold, this very day, they presented their offerings, and their sin offerings and their burnt offerings before the Lord. When things like this happened to me, if I had eaten a sin offering today, would it have been good in the sight of the Lord, Moses? Do you think you know so much about the will of God that God would demand this of me even now? You see, there is a holiness of God that we have to maintain with all our strength. But God is not a capricious God. He is not a God with no feelings. He is not a God who is without compassion. And there are times when circumstances don't allow us to do everything by the letter of the law. But thanks be to God, when those things happen, we have a Lord who understands. And it's a good thing that we had a lawmaker 
who understood too. The last verse of chapter 10 said, when Moses heard that, it seemed right in his sight. He understood. I hope we can understand too. Messiah said this when he was confronted by those who insisted on the letter of the law in spite of every other circumstance that might have existed. He said, go and learn what this means. I require mercy, not sacrifice. Thanks be to God that we have a merciful Lord, a holy God, yes, but a God of mercy too.